They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha with your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. I am your host, Will Tarashuk. It's T's and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. And we are from Cube Recording Studios in Montclair, New Jersey. And my guest is a very good friend. Uh, she is a very pertinent person in my life. Also, the one to make sure I get my paychecks, cash, in, ready every single week. The one and only Jill Melandrino. Thanks for having me here. Pretty awesome studio. I'm impressed, Will. Yeah, it's cool, right? I mean, I told you three years ago uh, in my interview how big I was in the podcasting. And three years later, here I am, partnering with the studio. Um, and finally, I get to bring you in here, Joe. I've been for this day for a very long time. Yeah, and so have I. Um, it, to your point in your intro, the podcasting world has certainly exploded. And it's ubiquitous with how we consume news and entertainment. So... Good call on your part. I think what six, seven years you've been doing it. At this seven, point? seven years. It's uh, every February. It's like two days after my twentieth birthday. I started podcasting, um, and then it just it just never stopped. Episode three hundred of my wrestling podcast is coming up in just a few weeks, uh, which is my baby, my original podcast. This is episode twenty six or so of talking with Tara Shuck. So overall, I've probably done easily over four hundred podcasts in total over that time and uh, I'm just getting started. Well, let me interview you. What do you enjoy the most about podcasting? Is it the actual interview itself or do you enjoy the editing part of it? What what do you like the most? Uh, I definitely, it. I feel I am the best version of myself when I'm podcasting because uh, I can just talk without concern. I can just express myself super freely. So definitely the act of actually doing a podcast. We're talking about wrestling, talking about finance, which we're going to talk about, talking about uh, life coaches, baseball, what what have you. It's just, you know, what am I generally interested in? It lets me explore my creativity and it lets me be my authentic self uh, in the most fluid way because the P stands for personal yes. in podcasts. Yes, So uh, we are here because you are a global market supporter. We have a lot to talk about finance, but you just came back from a conference in Austin, Texas, which I am still mad I couldn't go. But shout out to my brother. He's getting married in October. Uh, so tell me about consensus, what it is, what you did in Austin, and kind of just what it is we do for a living. Yeah, so Consensus by Coindesk is the world's largest digital asset conference and the world's longest conference. There was, I remember when I first started covering it for NASDAQ in 2018, it took place in a hotel in Midtown Manhattan. And mm -hmm. for whatever media was there, we were kind of in a hallway in the lobby of, I believe it was Hilton Midtown, whatever it was. Flash forward into 2022, four years later, after two years of it being virtual because of the pandemic, over 17,000 people were in the Austin Convention Center. And it wasn't just about blockchain, which is what makes it really exciting. This was about blockchain and all of the verticals that it touches. It's mm -hmm. not just about crypto and Bitcoin and digital assets. This is about the technology that's going to drive Web3, Meta, NFTs, as I know a lot of your listeners are into NFTs, and all of the different brands that it can potentially touch. This isn't just about finance. It's about insurance, healthcare, 
commerce, you name it, anything that has some sort of a ledger attached to it, which all industries do, is how blockchain technology is going to be deployed. Here's an example that everyone can understand, whether you're in technology or finance, think about the supply chain. And we're all very well aware of what's happening with the supply chain and constraints mm -hmm. and so forth. Even something as we know at Chipotle, for example, when they had a couple of cases, um, separate cases of E. coli contamination, if you have everything on blockchain being tracked that way, you're able to track it to source. And that helps um, healthcare workers, the supply chain, food care, CDC, FDA, track where there is that, um, that uh, um, thank God for editing, where that disruption is within the supply chain. And mm -hmm. blockchain is what allows for all of this to take place. So it was really interesting to see how it wasn't just about Bitcoin and digital assets, but it was about all of the different worlds that this technology can unlock. Mm -hmm. Well, Web3 definitely scares me uh, because we still haven't really mastered Web2 yet. Uh, but it, it is the future, whether we like it or not. I think some aspects of it are going to be very, very successful. I think some aspects are going to definitely crash and burn. You know, it's just a free market we live in. So, But you said a lot of big words there, so blockchain. People might not know what actually the blockchain actually is. So like in layman's turn, explain to me like I'm four years old, what is the actual blockchain? So blockchain is also synonymous with distributed ledger technology. Mm -hmm. So what it does is it assigns protocols that allow transparency. It's for you to be able to track any sort of transaction that takes place. So here's an example. Rather than having to have a bank as an intermediary, I can just take, let's money, whether whatever form of currency it is, mm -hmm. and automatically transact it with you. Right. Now, this is being deployed around the world to billions of people. Some hotspots are South America, Southeast Asia, Africa, where they don't have legacy financial institutions. So this is how they're building cross-border payment. This is how they are accruing sources of revenue using blockchain technology and whatever asset they are transacting business in. But this is the building block that allows that to happen. So when we think about what are the use cases, is this happening in real time? It already is working in real time. Um, many of the listeners on this podcast, I would imagine, are into music. Well, think about using blockchain technology to acquire and sell tickets. Right. It's a safer way, a more transparent way where you don't have to worry about, oh, did I get scammed? Is, you know, scalping is illegal, but it's a way to remove the middleman, middle person and transact business through this ledger technology. And it's like a complete unique digital code that at least for now can't be hacked or kind of disrupted. Well, I mean, can it be hacked? Can it be disrupted? Anything, anything, anything can be can. hacked. It's just as of insofar it hasn't. Right. So, well, I mean, there have been scams, of course, when when you right. think of Bitcoin and other mm -hmm. digital assets. NFTs as well. And yep. NFTs as well. But you can make the same argument with, with Real money. cash. Yeah, regular money. You can, you can make the same argument with um, fine art, right? Yep. Copies being made, fakes being made. Um, and you have to remember, too, as it relates specifically to digital assets, Bitcoin's only 13 years old. It's a very, very young asset class. So as it matures, um, as a regulatory framework is placed around it, the hope will be that you will see um, fewer scams. But it, it's not even just about financial assets. It's everywhere. I mean, anything can be hacked. Right. So I think because this industry is young and it understands that it's trying to be as proactive as it can be versus reacting to it. Right. And the the whole like uh, appeal of crypto or the blockchain is that it isn't 
like regulated. It's decentralized. Um, but isn't it like for crypto in particular, for it to be successful, doesn't it kind of have to be recognized or centralized or from the viewpoint of the financial institutions or the government to become legit, for lack of a better word? And that's what we're seeing. We are starting to see a framework um, be placed around it. It was um, last week, in fact, there was a proposal where the CFTC will regulate cryptocurrency instead of the SEC, or at least place a framework around it for the SEC to uh, create a more structured framework around it. Right. Um, so you have that. And it, yes, it's decentralized, but everyone I have spoken to in the industry and, and other folks that I've seen in media want to work with the regulators right. to help provide that legitimacy around it. And at the end of the day, you want public investors to be safe. Again, it's a young asset class and the technology moves so quickly, as you know, every iteration of, of technology moves quicker than the regulators can keep up with it. It's not simply easy to regulate and create legislation. Right. It, it, it takes time and the technology evolves quicker. It's deployed quicker than human brains can create regulatory framework around. So now that, we, you know, President Biden put an executive order um, um around the digital asset space there are mandates for the regulators to start to put a framework around it so i think we're in a, we're, we're in a good place there is um frameworks in the works if you will and it, it's just a matter of time they're not going to approve something just because the industry wants it, it they, right. their mandate is the regulators mandate is to protect public investors yeah so i, I think we're at a good jump off here um, and it will provide legitimacy. You will continue to see mass institutional adoption. We've certainly seen that over the past couple of years, especially with the pandemic and retail investors getting more involved, whether it's a crypto space or stock investing in general. Yeah, because I guess, I guess the biggest critique of crypto is like, what can you really do with it other than hold it? Now, that there, are, there are industries kind of teasing, like you can buy things with crypto. International, you can do a lot of things with crypto. El Salvador's national currency is now in crypto. So it's kind of we're getting there. But like back to the original point, like the allure of crypto is that the government isn't involved. But for it to be legitimized, it kind of has to be involved so you can start doing things with it. So doesn't that kind of just take out the like the sex appeal behind crypto and the attractiveness to going towards crypto? It's kind of like, well, in order to make this legitimate, you kind of got to defeat the purpose of what it was created for and to begin with. But that also leads to good things and you can actually do stuff with it. Right. I don't think it's in either or situation anymore. Right, okay. It's no longer us versus them. The fact of the matter is you can't think of it as, yes, there is investing in ETH and Saldano and Avalanche and Bitcoin. That said, it's not just about the investment profile going from the bottom left of the chart to the top right of the chart, right? It is more about transacting business and it's more about revenue streams and to me that's the sexy part of it because you're seeing practical applications with it mm -hmm. again there are billions of people who are underbanked or unbanked and this is their way of being able to transact business and have revenue streams yeah and exactly if you think about it in a very linear sense that it's only valuation which is how um the general public thinks of bitcoin it's only a store of value that's not the case when you start thinking about it from the respect of transacting and revenue streams, that's the sexy part of the story. There, Those are use cases for it. Interesting. I'm excited to see where it goes. I personally don't have any crypto. Um, I just, I just, I don't, like, I, I, I get it conceptually, but I don't get it. You know, like, I have my money in, like, real money, for lack of a better term. Um, but I think it's here to stay. It's not going to go anywhere. And 
eventually it'll adapt into what it needs to be, what that is. You know, that's up for debate and what all these conferences really are about, what we can use it for. So what else was there at Webby? Like, what's uh, consensus? Something that really stood out to you or is this like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I just want to point out one thing that might help you conceptualize it better. Okay. In the late 90s, that's when I first started my career in trading before I transitioned to media, there was the dot-com boom, right? Mm -hmm. Where we had all of these companies had a dot-com attached to the end of their name and they had massively high valuations, even crazier than what we just recently see with the valuation we set in the market. And there was a company called Pets.com. And it was, it was one of those infamous companies that was synonymous with the dot-com boom. Now, flash forward 20 years later, it's essentially Chewy.com. So while we might not have been able to conceptualize it then, like really an online marketplace for pets, we didn't even really understand what the internet was or what the possibilities yeah. were back then. Well, flash forward 20 years and you have Chewy.com. And, and we've seen how successful that company has been. And it's here and it's legit. And um, I don't think you'll see the proliferation of the dot-com companies happen again, if you will. But I do think that you'll see larger established companies start to make acquisitions and be, now that we because we understand how the marketplace works so you have to think of it in those terms we didn't understand this in in you know from the 80s up until where we are today and now internet usage mobile usage what we're seeing in the digital asset space this is ubiquitous with our daily lives so i think you need to think of it in, in those terms but back to what we saw at the conference um Granted, you know, we did 40 hits in two days. I really didn't have the opportunity to <laughs> Take it run around as much yeah, as I could. Yeah. But it was pretty awesome. We set up on a Thursday and to see the entire convention center empty, but all of the equipment, all the crews building it. And they built, I think it was three or four sound stages all throughout the floor. That was pretty amazing. And this was all erected in one day. Wow. So it, that if that helps you um, conceptualize the scope of it, they had one area called the Metaverse Zone, which I thought was the coolest part of the floor. And, and again, I, I got to see it for about five minutes because we were so busy on our end. Yeah. And they did a lot of cool digital activations around NFTs and Meta. So visually, it was pretty awesome to see. Um, I could tell you my coolest experience was, of course, there was a number of parties. And the cool thing with the digital asset space, they're not friends, spend money on parties. But I went to one activation <laughs> where... It was basically Photoshop on steroids. They mm -hmm. had a gra local graffiti artist from Austin there using a digital graffiti gun, if you will, the spray. And you basically, like Photoshop or any editing tool, you you know, pointed the gun at, at the editing piece that you needed to do. And you could either spray, you could delete. He taught us all how to write our names in graffiti. It was really cool um, to see that. And then asking him, you know, which form do you like better? The one thing he liked, you could adjust the pressure better when you do it with real paint, but he was just blown away that digitally you can replicate and teach and show people how to do this um, and just be able to hit a race and bring you know a new student on. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um, I think my biggest takeaway was the NFT conversation because it's mm. being used now. Brands, especially luxury brands, are using NFTs to unlock exclusive either social experiences. Um, let's say, for example, there is uh, an exclusive shoe 
by Nike, just a random example, that you need this NFT to unlock that social experience and then to go into the store and that NFT is your currency to get those limited edition shoes. Brands are already hmm. using this. Um, they're also talking about how to use NFTs as a way for rewards programs or gamification or um, just unlocking exclusive experiences. And it's being done now. And I know you will appreciate this, but even when it comes to entertainment, incorporating the physical experience of going to a concert and also the digital experience of going to a concert. And I think, you know, one of the silver linings in the pandemic was it showed us how to do that. It accelerated all these trends that we would have been looking at five to 10 years from now. Yeah, so definitely. Based out of that conversation, it also lends to, for a brand, you're unlocking that experience between digital to brick and mortar store. It's another distribution and engagement channel for them. So it's not just about Twitter and Facebook and Insta and, and TikTok. They actually have these immersive digital worlds that's also part of their distribution channel. I also think with NFTs, um, we were also talking about how it can be used for charitable purposes as well. And there are a, a number of NFTs that are projects that are working on that. So to me, that was really the key takeaway, how NFTs are kind of that tipping your, dipping your toe in the water of the metaverse. Yeah, NFTs also confuse me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get, again, I get the idea. Um, it's like completely one of a kind. It, there's value in it because people, one, because it's completely original, and two, people are buying them, right? People give value to things because people are going to buy them. Um, in the metaverse, NFTs work in the metaverse hand in hand. It's interesting. Like you say, a concert experience. I can see it totally taking off. Like you can't actually afford to go to the physical concert in person. You can go there from your home. You just got to put your little headset on and you experience the full glory of that concert. I see that version of the metaverse taking off huge. I see it being huge in gaming. I see it, um, things with healthcare being successful. But I just, I just, I don't buy that it's going to work in every aspect because what are the rules and who makes the rules? When someone asks me about the metaverse, the first question I ask, what are my rights? And people kind of look at me like, huh? It's like, no, I mean, what are my rights? What am I allowed to do and not do? And who makes those rules? Do you really want to go into a universe owned by Jeff Bezos or owned by Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates where they make all of the rules and there's no, like, process to, like, us fight those rules? It's, oh, let's don't use it. Well, well, the internet we're seeing now is life cannot exist without the internet, right? If you don't have the internet, you don't have a business. If your business doesn't have a website, you don't have a – you don't exist. So you have a society dependent on the internet – which right now doesn't really have set rules, which is 2D space. You're going to bring into a 3D space, which even less rules and more confusion. So I don't even know where to go from there. But with, with, with who owns the metaverse, like, what are my rights? What am I allowed to do and not do? And like, how do we prevent the end of the world in the digital metaverse? So the genesis of Web3 was to your point with what we're seeing with Web2. Apple, Google, Microsoft, those companies are the X. In Web2, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you're transacting your digital experience as you know it now. Web3 is along the lines of it being a more user-based content creator controlled space. Now, how is that regulated? What are the rules? It's in its infancy. And that's yeah. what we're trying to figure yeah. out. Also, the other question is, well, what happens with all the data? And the challenge with that mm. is coming to global 
standardization with data is incredibly tricky. Part of that is, as an example, our data privacy rules in the U.S. are very different than what they are in the EU. Yep. That's one thing. When it comes to free speech and so forth, we are unique in the fact that we have the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. Other areas of the world don't. And it's not just because we have these amendments. Historically, it's a fundamental thing that we value free speech. We value openness here in the U.S. In Europe, they tend to be more protective of their data. Um, you, you also have to think about it in the context of these are all different countries within one continent. The U.S. is all different states within one country. Yep. Within North America, our values, our laws, with the exception of the state level, are unanimous, right? We don't have that separation like all these little countries do within one continent. Yep. So you, those are where the fundamental differences are. What I will say with Web3 is because it is user built, I think it's great for the creator yep. economy, which is certainly the way that we're going. I mean, think about it, I guess, as the modern day contracting, freelancing, um, even for gamers. Technically, there is no end to a game because if users are building that content, they can just continue to build worlds and more worlds. Yep. Again, it's in its infancy. There will be challenges with standardizing it, but because it is user controlled, I don't think we'll have the overlord feeling, if you will, by the big tech companies that we have now. That said, Web2 tech companies are not just going to let this go by the by. Right. You know, they're, they, obviously, they're going to want to be involved. Um, how that plays out, that's anyone's guess. And those are the questions that, that I ask, you know, when, uh, in the course of my interviewing. And then that's essentially you know, the answers that I get too. you know, they're still trying to figure out what this looks like. And I think when you take a step back and you think of Meta, you think of Web3, it could be very, very, very good. But if it's bad, it could also be very, very bad. Yeah. I think the challenge is, and we're seeing this now, especially in the polarized state that we exist in, when you think of uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, deep fakes, it's going to be really hard to discern what's real, what's not. And we already, and that's and my we already don't concern. know what's real and what's right. not real. Like that, that's my big thing. Web3 is incredibly exciting. And it is an infancy. The fact that we don't know the answer to these questions is okay. Mm -hmm. Right? That's to be expected. If they had the answer to these questions, I'd be a little more concerned. Um, but so the, the question of the perspective being asked is good. But my thing is like, guys, if I was thinking, if I was the all dominant rule of the world, I'd be like, guys, let's just take a breath, take a beat, slow down. Because we still have so much chaos in Web2. Let's kind of figure that out first and like take your time into building Web3 into what it should be and what it could be instead of just, we got to get there right now so fast, right now, no, 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 money, 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 right? Because like you got to, if you got to do something, you, you got to do it right. And I get it, but I don't think fixing Web2 is necessarily the answer. I think it is a challenge to fix it. Mm -hmm. um, the regulation around it is outdated. Okay. Um, so are we going to sit around and wait or are we going to try and develop other technologies that perhaps could be a better path? I think that it's even bigger than what's happening in technology right now. I just think it's a current state of affairs that is making everything really hard to regulate because mm. everything's a political hot button or it gets turned into that kind of issue. Um, you know, the current regulation that 
moderates web two social media as of now is section 230 i mean it's over 20 years old and yeah. it, it that is the challenge are they publishers or are they not publishers who's moderating who's getting kicked off are we protecting free speech although there's such a big misunderstanding of how the first amendment technically works um you know that's related to the government these are private companies private companies can do yeah. what they want in terms yeah. of who their user base is and, and look that if that impacts their revenue stream, if that impacts their user base, well, that's a business decision that they chose to make. So I, I think understanding all of that is what makes Web2 so challenging. And um, I think when you're looking into developing Web3, all of these are is in the back of our minds as you're looking to develop that. Hmm. I see. So you can, you can kind of take the failures of Web2 and kind of fix those wrongs instead of in web two in a brand new thing. In well, web but that, and that's innovation. Yeah. That, I mean, that's I, how I all am, industries I am evolve. all, f- I am all for innovation. Like uh, mm-hmm. if someone wants to, like if Zuckerberg wants to develop the metaverse or whoever wants to do his metaverse, you are a hundred percent allowed to do that. Like I would never be like, just stop innovating or create a lot of stop innovation. No, no, no. Innovation free market capitalism is inherently, I think good as a whole, right? It moves society forward. Now you have to check some balance with capitalism, which, and kind of, you know, regulate monopolies, which may or not be happening, but to stop innovation because it might be dangerous. No, I think that's silly. I think that's actually a step backward mm-hmm. for sure. Well, that goes back to our point before where when it comes to digital assets, whether you're transacting or revenue streams or you're investing in it, again, it is widely used in Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia of yeah. all places. Mm-hmm. And the problem is we're not innovating here. And we're falling behind from global respect. Mm-hmm. We tend to think so U.S. centric. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it's being deployed globally and there's regulation being built around it. And we don't want to fall behind with that innovation. I just a lot of Web 2, Web 3, crypto. We could probably get it for days and days and days, but it's making my head hurt. And I bet people listening going, what in God's name are they talking about? So let's let's throw it back. Trade talks. Trade talks. <laughs> Trade talks has a wild ride. So you started out as a global market supporter, trader, into media. So kind of take me through all that, how you started in like financial media, a reporter, trading, and how how'd you get into media? Because you are really damn good at it. So I don't know I don't know how you go from like a trading like like on, on the mid, like Chris Dearborn on his desk, to I'm Joe Malandrina, welcome to the Nasdaq Trade Talks, and boom. So how take me through that road. It, well, um it's like you. You evolve as you learn the podcast industry. So I started off in trading in 1998 on the Institutional Equity Trading Desk. And um, the last desk I was on, they shut down the equity division in its entirety going into the financial crisis. So seeing that the industry was evolving, I decided to make a career shift. Um, I was hired at thestreet.com. The former director of research on the desk I was at prior was co-managing Jim Cramer's charitable trust at the street. Mm -hmm. They opened up an options trading product and she asked me to come on and run that. I met Cramer. I sat outside of his office for five years. And one day he turned to me. He's like, Jill, you know the markets. Go down to the New York Stock Exchange. Start reporting. So um, from there, I worked I, I that was when I was first introduced to Nasdaq because well as you know Nasdaq will engage outside reporters to help support their listed companies their business partners so that's mm-hmm. how I first hooked up at Nasdaq so I was at the street for five or six years reporting from New York Stock Exchange Nasdaq the uh exchanges in Chicago so Chicago Board of Trade SIBO of course those are 
no longer um, there as they were in their original form. Um, and I also reported from the NYMEX, um, uh, actually on the on the water, the Hudson River, it's no longer there either, as things have been digitized and consolidated. So um, after the street, I went to the Voice of America, which is actually the State Department is hmm. the one that um, owns it, if you will. It was born out of World War II as an agency to provide news around the world. So they have media outlets in virtually every country on the planet to give them news from America that was more, less propaganda, if you will. So I reported on U.S. markets and African markets, and I loved reporting on African markets. And I hmm. hope to extend our coverage from a fintech perspective onto the continent. Um, and it really was self-taught. I did not have any formal broadcast training. Um, I One of the first reporters I worked with this, at the street, her name was Alex Steele. She's an anchor for Bloomberg on one of the shows in the morning now. And I remember watching her and I'm like, Alex, I want to be as good as you are. Show me the ropes. And she was a great mentor, but the best piece of advice she ever gave me, I remember what she was wearing that day when she told me, she's like, Jill, do you. You have your own personality. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. Let it evolve. I appreciate the compliment. You want to do what I do, but it's a craft and you let your personality come through. So if you think about anchors and reporters that I either try to emulate or pick up tips from, so not only am I listening to the financial news, but I'm also watching their style. I think Howard Stern does an amazing job when it comes to interviewing. Yep. I think he is great at, he has his prepared questions, but he's so good at hearing something and then turning it into a whole other direction. And that is what I've noticed. I feel like since the beginning of the pandemic, because you and I went from zero to 60, you know, doing 700 pieces of content a year to 1500, the more yeah. practice that you have, I feel like yeah. my interviews are more thoughtful for that reason. Um, Tyler Matheson on CNBC it, does the same thing as well. He's very good at taking complex topics such as what we were just talking about before with the digital asset space and and asking questions in a way that makes it more layman's terms. So for me, if I have a question I need follow-up, I know my audience does too. Yep. So I'm trying to be more thoughtful mm -hmm. with my interviews and that really has been the epiphany moment for me. Um, and those are the type of styles that I try to emulate. Definitely. I, I, that, that's phenomenal advice. And I've been, I've been telling you that forever too. I was like, listen, Jill, you are such a personality. Like the best, the best interviews you have are someone sometimes are the ones that are not as prepared with people, you know, like a Russell or a Brian or a Chris or a uh, Ryan or whoever, right? Just kind of like, we're just going to do it and talk and just kind of riff because it's, it's relatable, right? It's, I remember like when we kind of flirted the day of a podcast, we did a few test runs. You still had that, I call it the news voice, where it's very, you know, ask question, get an answer, ask question, get an answer. But no, like I had most the past few years, you have a lot more follow-up, a lot more insight, a lot more, here's what I think. And I think that's incredible, not just for uh, trade talks, just for anyone who creates content. Right. Like, I, I think part of it is as the show has grown, we've been able to have more editorial control mm -hmm. and be more discerning with our guests. I also think because of the pandemic and we have the opportunity to, we're in a hybrid environment now, two days in studio, three days out, the quality of our guests, I know that's not the best term to use, but 
because we can do interviews from anywhere versus having to get someone in studio for a 10 minute block, yeah. we're able to get different types of talent on a more diverse talent on a lot of times when things are scripted, it's, you know, if it's specific to a listed company coming on or perhaps a client to one of our business units come on, those tend to be more directed from the communications teams. And while Trey Talks was born out of to support our business units, um, we do have to do that kind of content. Right, but of I, you know, we've yeah, letting know if we have natural follow up, if we want expansion on an idea, we're going to ask if you want inclusion on Trey Talks. We're bringing you on because you're a thought leader in our space. You're a CEO of a Nasdaq listed company. We want to hear what you have to say raw. This is why people are tuning in. We want to hear. Okay, you know what? You're a CEO of PayPal, as an example, um, you're the CEO of whether it's a Nasdaq listed company or a New York Stock Exchange listed company. If you are running a company like a Twitter, like a Facebook, like a PayPal, like a Walmart, like a Target, I want to hear what you think about the social media space, what you think about commerce, what you think about your industry getting digitized. So while they are coming on with a specific story to tell, how lucky are we to get executives on our show that can talk with an inside point of view on trends. That's mm -hmm. the coolest thing. And then, of course, um, as you and I think about at our editorial calendar, as it aligns with Financial Literacy Month in April, as an example, we want our focus there. We want our focus in June to really be in the digital asset space with consensus, with um, yep. uh, NFT, NYC NFT happening next week, um, the, the week of June 20th. And we want to ask those follow-up questions because to your point before, I don't know what metaverse means. Tell me. Because right. I don't know <laughs> as the talent, I know my audience has that question. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't be afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, you know, Jill's reporting on digital assets. She should know what this means. Well, no, I don't. And I'm trying to learn and I want my audience to learn. So never be afraid to ask questions. Of course, I do my homework and I do research, particularly in the digital asset space. A lot of things when I riff with, you know, when we have Jeff Kilberg on, we have Russell Rhodes on, we have Mark Sebastian on, and we're riffing about the market, what's happening in real time, what's happening in the options space. Well, that's my background. You know, I could take a look and see right. what's happening on the tape right. and what the macro headlines are on the day. And I can go. We just one, two, three, go. But when it comes to newer coverage of mine, I, I do the research and I want to ask. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, you, you have to be curious. I often, I often say, like, you know, don't ask questions you already know the answer to because your audience is going to tell that you don't care. Or the audience is going to know that you already know. Like I like I ask I like asking questions that I don't know the answer to. I I I do podcasts to learn things. Like shocker, right? Um, well, I mean, there are some things that you do know. I think you want to just because you and I know things, and every industry has acronyms, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> most people, when they invest in their four hundred one ks, it goes into a mutual fund for the most part. Yep. If you're putting money away for retirement, you know what a mutual fund is. Yep. Now we also have something that's an ETF, which is similar to a mutual fund, but has a lot of differences. So if I have an ETF issuer on the show, and you and I have been covering this, where they're converting mutual funds to ETFs, we know why. But I'm going to ask them, okay, as an investor, if I'm putting money in my 401k, should I go with a mutual fund or should I go with an ETF? Mm. I think the average person who's investing wants to know that answer. Yeah, that's So fair. while you and I have heard this a number of times, we produce over 1,500 hits. We don't have a classic broadcast schedule. So sometimes yeah. what you and I mm -hmm. have heard 
someone catching in, oh, you know what? I never heard of trade talks. Let me check out some of those videos. They're hearing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. We don't have a consistent schedule like that. So do you think that works to our advantage? I think it does. I think it definitely does. I think it definitely does because you and I have the freedom of not being on a broadcast schedule. So sometimes, you know, our hits are five to seven minutes, but there are times where if I'm in a good conversation with a guest and I want them to keep going, 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 we could do that. I don't have a producer in my ear telling me to cut to commercial. I also think the way that consumers are acquiring their news is no longer through the TV. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I have three stepkids. I don't think they've turned on the TV with the exception of sports, but they consume everything on YouTube, everything on TikTok. And this goes back to the user and content creator economy. You and I are always talking about where you don't need a studio. You don't need um, an agent. You don't need marketers and promoters. Everyone could create content and the audience is going to determine what gets the views and what they want to see. And to me, that's really exciting. And I think that we were forward looking in having somewhat of a news ish kind of show five years ago as a marketing tool to support our business units and listings. And now look where we are. Yeah. You have to keep adapting. You have to keep adapting not only to your audience, but to the things that are out there. Like I fought against TikTok forever because I don't get it. I hate doing things on my phone like that. But, you know, I created a TikTok from Biggest Podcast a few weeks ago and boom, it's bigger than anything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Like it's weird saying, well, I have this is the most this is the most views I've ever gotten anything I ever created. And I posted it and it's been three hours. Like it's it's crazy. Like that's what the people are. you got to you got to cater to where the people are. And the question I like to ask people, how do you consume content? That's your answer. Different from my answer, different from Christian's answer, different from everyone else's answer, your kids, stepkids answer, your husband's answer. Everyone consumes content differently. So you got to cater to all those different things. Like, yes, we're on YouTube. We go live to YouTube. Is it is YouTube like live like that? Huge like that in the middle of the afternoon? Probably not. But the replay value is still there. Right. Our audience is all on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Is live stream to Twitter typically the best idea for most people? No, probably not. But for us, somehow it works. Right. And I also, <laughs> actually, I had this question asked to me when we were at the conference of consensus. And, and you know, where can we find you? And it's at Twitter, Everywhere. YouTube, LinkedIn, NASDAQ.com. And the platform that's your bread and butter is so key because when we first started Trade Talks, it was distributed through Facebook. And I remember telling our head of social media at the time that, that Facebook is not a trader's audience. I don't, right. they might go there mm. and see, mm-hmm. you know, find out where their, where their high school and college friends are now or look at cat videos or whatever. Our audience are the traders that are scanning Twitter headlines that are searching ticker symbols to see what the latest news is. Our distribution and our engagement skyrocket after that. Like No one is going to Facebook for what you and I produce. Uh, we're dipping our toes a little bit via mother NASDAQ social media on TikTok. And last week, in fact, two of our videos were one of the top five performers on TikTok. So the social editing team, they were able to hear, okay, this is what the TikTok audience cares about. And that's what worked. Twitter works for us. Yep. Instagram for us, Facebook for us. Our audience is looking at that on the commute or maybe over the weekends or doing some shopping, but they're not coming to that for news. They're going to Twitter for the headlines. And even when we were at the conference, our top performing hit last year was with Chainlink. And we weren't able to sync on an interview for consensus, but the PR team came over and spoke to me and they're like, we'll definitely get something scheduled for June or July in New York because out of all the distribution channels, you guys go straight to Twitter. That is our audience. Mm-hmm. And when you look, especially in digital asset space, 
our content does the best because they're all engaging there. If we were to stream our content from consensus on Facebook, I don't think anyone there even goes on Facebook. Yeah. So it all depends what works best for you. Now, if you're a brand, a consumer brand, Facebook is probably going to work for you better. So I think finding your bread and butter and really putting your resources into that is where you want to be. And then repurposing that to your point to another platform where you think it might play well to test. Yeah. Well, big thing is recycling your content, right? You have to reuse your content. I recorded podcasts months ago. I have recorded clips for YouTube months ago and stuff that I scheduled months in advance. But since I created TikTok, I can go back, right? That content is still relevant. I just might have to edit a little bit for for TikTok, but it's all out there. And I have like, I, I tagged someone I did a podcast with three months ago. And he's like, oh, hey, awesome. Welcome to TikTok, right? But like you have to recycle your content. Even if your bread and butter isn't on Facebook, mm-hmm. you should still put something on Facebook because people are still there. You just got to kind of figure out how to do it. So yes, to your point, Focus more your resources towards your bread and butter, but you still have to be everywhere. Of course. And the thing is- Unless you have a newsletter. Of course. And you can always redirect traffic back. Exactly. Right? And that is the whole point where you, again, you don't want to, in, in my experience, you don't want to spread yourself too thin where you're detracting from where your main platform is, but you can always slice and dice like you guys do and put it on different platforms and redirect them back, redirect them back to .com. That's how yep. you build your traffic. Yep. So I think- It's, all, it's it, all web. Are we, you know, the question is, is are there too many platforms? How yeah, do you pick and sure. choose what sure. works, what doesn't work? And yeah. you could test them out and see what works, but, um, you know, where you decide to focus your resources is in my mind really key and we even see it at nasdaq there's different programs that we do where one streams here one streams here and then that that's what works i know like when they do um meet meet nasdaq the influencer campaign that we have that takes place at market site they have that on insta they have it on tiktok they're going where all the influencers are and that's smart perhaps putting that on twitter where we see more of the trading audience that might not be like the, the like the first pass the best yeah. place to go mm-hmm. so not only that like resources Typically, you would, you would think that with something as big as Trade Talks, we have a giant team, a thou- unlimited resources. No, it mostly, it's just us. It's me and you. Mm-hmm. We are the A-team. Jill and Will, kicking ass. Yep, and not only in studio or remotely, but even when we go on the road now, too. And yeah. And we have our road kit. You have never produced like that before, and it was... You know, you had, a, you had a couple, but you did fine. You I did, was so scared. But it's like, it's practice. You, no, I knew I was going to kill it. And it's, it's also, everything is so hands-on. It's almost like you can go to school for finance, but once you get on a trading desk, yeah, you, you could go to med school. I would imagine one, until you start doing your residency and, and doing the rounds and all that, it's different than what you learn in biology different. class. Yep. It, and it's repetition. Um, as you know, I'm in school and I, I took um, a number of editing classes and it was a crash course. I had to learn Audition and Premiere Pro in 16 weeks. Yep. And I had to reuse it for some stuff I'm doing, you know, th- this year. And unless you're doing that every day, and of course, those platforms are always evolving. It's challenging. Always changing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yesterday, I spent half my day on Adobe After Effects, just creating lower thirds. Because like, any time I do a podcast like this in studio or remote, I want to have new graphics. Every time I have different lower thirds. So I haven't made the one for this podcast yet, but it's going to look different. Because the idea is like, listen, I am I am a podcaster. I also do editing. I, I am trying to sell my stuff. 
Um, so if someone goes, oh, that's a great lower third. Hey, you like it? Great. You can buy it. Right. Right. So like that's why everything needs to be different. Always. Yeah. Well, and that's the challenge that we have because. Well, even we're, though- we're different because like we're we're not selling production services. Right. NASDAQ isn't. Right. So like if it's uniform like that, that's fine. But for us, I would be like, listen, I would if I was in charge, I'd be like once a year. New graphics. And, uh, but I would love to, and we have been doing that for yeah. the most part, but I would love if we had more editorial control and could do some of those more fun things. Like, you know, let's say we have a digital asset hit. We use this set of graphics if we have something yeah. on each of these. Again, we work for a global brand. We don't have that type of leniency, but I, I do get and what you're saying. they're all working on other things too. Oh, right. Like I say it's me and you, but no, we have a lot of help in the broadcast team, the social team, the design team, but those mm-hmm. are different teams. The right. Trade Talks team is Jill and Will. Right. And- to your point, you know, I, I'm trying to learn different production platforms and I'm front of camera and I do my own booking, my own scheduling, my own scripting, but I want to learn how to be more autonomous, whether it's NASDAQ or elsewhere, because what if we do stuff on the fly? What if we want to do a mini doc series? What mm-hmm. if we, you know, our, our design and editing teams are so busy on other projects. Well, if you and I get proficient at it, why can't we do it? Yeah. You're like, hey, can you learn this? I go, yes. Yep. I'll figure it out. Well, you never stop learning. Look, I'm 45. I, I, I'm in graduate school. I finished yeah. off my, my undergrad two years ago. You never stop learning. You never stop evolving. Um, and I think, you know, if anything from this podcast, if you could take that away with you, whether it's going back to school, whether it's going for a specific class, whether it's a trade school, whether you want to identify what you think your passion is and just continue to learn why wouldn't you? The resources are available. A lot of companies are actually offering, like NASDAQ University, if you will, internally. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many resources that are out there, but don't ever stop because I'm telling you, at the pace that everything evolves, it's not going to wait for you. Yeah, never, never turn down an opportunity. I mean, Loki, you guys hired me almost three years ago. Believe that, three years. It's been three years, Joe. Almost three years ago, you guys hired me and I had no live stream experience. None. I was a podcaster. My interview, I talked <laughs> podcasts mm-hmm. like hard. And then I, I talked to the people just on the land the podcast. It's just like, yeah, it was your passion. More than anything is what really got you hired. I was just like, I was like, I can learn this. And, you know, I learned live stream in like two weeks, not even. And I picked it up. And then once the pan like six months later, the pandemic happened. It was just like, yeah. what? I remember Leanne telling me, I'll never forget this. We were in, um, in like that main lobby outside of A when you come through security. She's just like, yeah, with the pandemic, like we might get you like 20 hours a week, maybe just a few hits here and there. And I was freaking out. And I was like, oh my God, Rick, what am I going to do? And I talked to Chris and Ron and we just came up with a plan. We did it from home and we just made it work. I remember when I was hired, Anna told me, I was like, listen, we can probably give you 20 hours a week. And I was like, that's totally fine. I can do other things. I worked 40 hours a week, almost every single mm-hmm. week, other than holidays or like vacations And or then whatever. you came over to me full time and it took off from there. I mean, we, we tripled our production. Yeah, true. I, I, I was I was bounced around between two teams. Like, who do you work for? It's like, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> who do I work for? It's a great question. Yeah, but it's good now that we have a focus yeah. for you and I. And, no, we and know, look ex- at, we know look, exactly what we're doing. But right, but look at how much we've been able to build it, not just from volume, but to continue to perfect the quality of the content. You know, in addition to always learning, I'm always afraid to plateau with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always has to evolve because you know what, everyone is a content creator these days and you don't need a big brand behind you to necessarily do it. Of course you need it for distribution and so forth, but you know, for, for content creators that have the leverage to do their own graphics, to, you know, make it as sexy as they want, 
we have to continuously, you know, perfect on our end. Yeah. And you get, you get to keep learning. Uh, I have learned an absurd amount of stuff over the past two years. Like, the fact that Christian can take this video feed and put it in this TV right here, and I know how that works. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I know that. And it's just, it's just been from just figuring it out and getting opportunities, getting chances. And someone's just like, well, like, how do you learn all this stuff? I was like, I, used to, I don't say no. You know, you just, you always do stuff. I'm going to go home. I'm going to try and learn something else. Because it's just like, I tell people I work all the time. Like, as soon as we log off at 3 o'clock, you know, I send my email, 5 o'clock hits. I don't stop working. I just go into something else. But to me, it's not really work. Like, this podcast is technically work. Like, our work is technically work. But I also like doing it. But it's fun. It's still a hobby. So it's like, I'm working 24-7 or I'm working 0-7. The difference is this mindset. Mm -hmm. Is this work or is this fun? It depends on my mood. And that's, that just, cool. that's just really how it is. That is cool. So like how much like how much do you consider <laughs> everything you do work? Because obviously you enjoy what you do, but some of it is just I can't I, I can't imagine you do all your own your own book. Yeah, that is work. Um and the volume of email that comes in. We're always shifting yeah, so gears. Email. I'm always so starting and stopping. So it's not like I have a chunk of time where I can just sit and either do research or get my calendar in order because not only is it all the email coming in, doing all the booking, doing all the vetting, especially on the digital asset side, there's a pitch for everything. Yep. I get pitches. It, it <laughs> is so consuming. And then as you're trying to plow through your email inbox and you have other projects you have to do we're doing seven to ten hits a day so i'm start stop start stop that's what makes it challenging that's the work part of it when we were at the conference every guest is like how many of these do you do oh my god that's got to be so hard and i'm like this is the easy part this is the yeah. fun part yeah, it's Herding cats and getting your talking points and scheduling you and last minute switches that's the busy work this i want to learn about i'm in grad school to learn the academia side of what i'm doing that i enjoy um that i you know if i could take a sabbatical for 18 months and just focus on school i need income and i need insurance but i love to learn if i could if i had the luxury to do so i'm already thinking right grad school's done four more classes to go i graduate next may 2023 i'm already thinking about what i want to do next right mm -hmm. right when i was younger i used to know how to do sign language there's two si two oh. sets of sign language asl american sign language uh -huh. fsl french sign language what i would love to do is we don't typically see financial literacy content with the host signing as well. And there are people out there that are hearing disabled that I think want to consume this content. I know there's closed caption. I know there's other technologies that are available that's out there, but I would love to go back to school and learn how to sign again and incorporate that into our content. Oh, that'd be so easy. So that'd be so easy. Right. But I also think it shows how, Yes, the technology is out there for hearing impaired folks, whether it's closed caption or other digital audio tools that are available. But they use sign. But yeah. I also think, you know, from the inclusivity perspective, if we're showing that we care about our audience that broadly, it's something I want to do. So I'm already thinking beyond grad school. What else am I going to do? I have a couple of other ideas, but I am so passionate about that yeah. that I think it will be just a great story to tell when we do financial literacy month. I think it would be great to utilize as much as we can. Now I don't have a, you know, a time frame on it like I did for grad school, but I think it's something important that we should be doing. So I'm always thinking ahead like you are. Yeah. That's a great idea. 
I never, I would never even think of that. But I think now, like, you could just literally, like, we're on Zoom. It's just an extra NDI input. And you just put them at the bottom, and they're signing away. Like like you see on TV. Right? We would do it the exact same way. I well, I would love to be easy. the one signing. Oh, you want to sign? Yes. You, how? You could, you could talk right. and sign. How do you think hearing a pair of people? Well, I mean, they, they, they sign. Right, right, and I but would like, like to be able to do that with them. I want to go back to school to learn so, it. Again. Would you? But are you signing what you say? Or are you signing what the guest says? Says, or you, both? You could do both. You could do both. That see, that makes my brain. I don't, I don't think my brain could handle that. Yeah, but think about it. It's like playing guitar and singing at the same time. It's you're doing two things but at once. Here's possible. The, here's the whole thing, though. I wish I was multilingual. That's the mm. one deficiency that I have. And anywhere around the world. Most people not only speak two languages, but three, four, five languages. So if you can flip back and forth, I, I, you know, when people could speak Spanish one sentence and translate it in the next in English, if they can do it, we could do it with sign language. What's the difference? No, you're right. No, I think that's something I've never seen before. Very innovative. And I say, let's do it. When people sign, people that are hearing impaired when they sign, you'll see their mouth move along yeah, the mouth with moves. it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's same the same thing. Look, it's something to explore. No, I haven't seen anyone do it within our space, so why not? No, What's I, the downside? I think that's an incredible idea. You know, you have 100% soul me. Yeah. Interesting. That sounds awesome. All right. Let's go to grad school. So you've been in grad school for a while. So, and plus all this we do, plus grad school. You know, my girlfriend's in grad school, and she is just always working on week. Every Sunday, it's like, I can't talk to you. I'm doing homework. Like, great. I can play video games. <laughs> but so what are you going to grad school for? So I go to the Rutgers School of Communication and yep. Information Services. And our focus is, there's two parts that my focus is on. The, the overarching is digital media, because that's the space that we're in. And I've been leveraging it to learn production tools. And I'm also incredibly passionate about media law and policy. Oh, I love media law. And we were speaking about this before. Yep. If I could do Jill 2.0, I would love to, to pursue law. I that I love those classes. I love First Amendment law in undergrad. Um, my media policy law I took last summer was amazing just because there's so much going on with how this space is going to be regulated. And then my courses this semester focused on digital media innovation, which I was passionate about taking because this is what I'm reporting on. It's what I'm interested in. So be able to take what I know from reporting and implement it in my schoolwork and then what I'm learning from academia and put that into my work, mm. I feel like that really has been the inflection point for me. And um, I developed a prototype leveraging blockchain and NFTs for a charity. And my professor was like, this is one of the best projects I saw. He's like, you should find a way to execute on this. So being able to marry what we're doing in school and what we're producing on the show is an amazing opportunity. It's very rare that you're able to do that in an academia setting. Mm. For sure. Damn, it's like it's, yeah, again, makes my mind hurt to think about it. Yeah. But I don't know, Jill, you f- you find a way to do it. You just figure it out. And you, like people like to say, I have a strong work ethic. I'm like, like I, I do, don't get me wrong. But it's, it's nice to work with someone who has just as strong, if not stronger, mm-hmm. of a work ethic. But on top of all that, you manage me. So... I mean, and I, what I like about you as a manager is that you're very hands-on when appropriate, right? Otherwise, you just kind of let me work. Yeah, I, you- I just let you roll. I feel, especially you as a content creator, micromanagement would definitely not work for you. You tend to think more out of the box and why stifle that? Yeah. Um, and again, because you and I are such a tiny team, we need to establish that trust. 
Like you need to trust me that I'm building out this schedule, that I'm bringing quality guests on, that we're doing the best we can to make sure we have a place within this organization. And I think letting you provide direction and allow you to be creative only makes the show better. I, you and I will never have a scripted day. Yeah. Right. It's not like, okay, we have a meeting here. We do this. We do that. We go to lunch. Then we'll never, ever have a scripted day. And because of that, you and I are able to pivot incredibly quick. I mean, think about the pandemic. Our last day was Friday the 13th, March 20th. We had to figure out how to produce on Monday the, the 16th. And yes, it evolved from audio to iPad to, as we started getting more equipment in. Yep. And, you know, here we are now where AV built out a studio for us at home. Um, which allows us to not only support, you know, our 12 to three o'clock time slot, but we can work EU in the morning. We can work APAC at night. Um, you remember last year in November, yep. we worked APAC hours. Oh, it was great. I thought it was great too. I loved it. It was I, like, like, it was starting at nine, ending at three in the morning. I'm yeah. like, let's do it. Right. And I woke <laughs> up at noon. I had the whole day to do whatever I wanted. And it also gave us a chance because having your out of the office message on sometimes is so great yeah. because you catch up on work and it's understood. Look, I'm working APAC hours or I'm on the ground at a conference. I actually got so much done in Austin, even though we were jamming every day just because I had time to focus. But we have the ability to pivot. Oh, I need to take someone 15 minutes earlier or we need to squeeze another hit in mm -hmm. because we have our process down and we've been creative enough to figure out how to pivot. Yeah. It's weird. Like I always I tell people my job is really easy. Like, I'm just like, yeah, it's this is what I do. It's really easy. Like, it's I could do more. Like, I, I always think I can do more than I'm at currently doing. But then I see someone else try and do it. And I go, oh, this is hard. Well, like, I, I, it's like, it's, I don't know if it's, as, if it's me just, or just not, I don't know what it is, but seeing someone else do what you do every day and not do it how you do it, you go, oh, I could do this business better, that better. It's like, oh, this is actually difficult. I think, honestly, Will, the pandemic from a production perspective, not only for you and I, but what the world learned from virtually operating in a media production environment, not only got more diverse folks on the show, whether it's us, whether it's CNBC, you didn't have the same people on all the time. But to be honest, if we were still producing the way that we produced prior to the pandemic, it would not have been enough for you. Yeah. It just Look how much you and I have learned in the past two years. And I think that's a silver lining of it why we were able to triple our volume, why we were able to increase the quality of the show and, and get um, higher caliber guests on, if that's the right way to say it. But I don't think it would have been enough for you and I because we went from producing four or five hits from two to three, which was always, it was like a waiting room, you know, getting people in and out. We had only time for five, six minute interviews by the time we got them in the chair, mic'd up. Yep. Keep everything on track. We did everything like an hour and now a half. Now we have 12 yeah. to 3. We could all day. Now yeah. we could do it all day. Now we have the opportunity to have more thoughtful conversations. And it wasn't just like a factory. I don't think that would have been enough for you and I. We we needed to do more. And we got the opportunity to do it. I, I just can't see myself going through that routine. Yeah. No, I don't like routines. I, mean, I, like, I like routines. I like doing the same routine differently. Structure is important. Structure is good. But- the way that it was prior to where we didn't have the ability to be as creative or as autonomous as we are now, I don't think would have been enough. Yeah. Knowing what we know now. Yep. And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And Of course. We did it right. We did it the right way. We're going to continue to do it the right way because I'm not going anywhere, Jill. I'm going to be here for a very, very long Neither time. Neither am I. You're stuck with me. <laughs> Good.
Perfect. All right, Joe, I think that is a perfect place to wrap up. There's more we could totally get into, but that means got to bring it back another time. But before we go, I like to throw a little curveball. The last question always goes to the guest. So you asked me one in the beginning. That's totally fine. Anything you've ever wanted to ask me, now is your chance. Why is wrestling your topic of choice? <laughs> Immediately. You've wanted to ask me that for a long time. Wrestling my topic of choice. Um, It wasn't. It kind of fell in my lap. So in college, you're actually going to get a kick out of this. So in high, I'll go back to high school. In high school, I started a blog um, about movie reviews. I called it Willie T Reviews. Um, yeah, hilarious. It's still out there. Um, I don't know how to get rid of it, but it's there and it's terrible. I hate it. Don't look for it. Um, but I did that to stand out on college applications, right? Because I was like, okay, my grades are okay. You know, I was a B student, but I need to stand out if I want to get into the college I want to get into. Um, so I wrote a blog, I put it on my resume. I think it worked. I don't know. But I was in college. So I was like, I need to do the same thing. You know, I'm listening to all these. I saw listening to podcasts in junior high school. So I'm listening to all these podcasts. Like, I need to do something to stand out on job applications. So like, okay, let me do a podcast. How do I do that? It took me forever. Um, but I was home for Christmas break, uh, my sophomore year of college. And my buddy, we're in my buddy Phil's basement. And my Christian is was talking about wrestling or talking about whatever. And Christmas goes, Will, we should start a podcast. And boom, light bulb goes off. So you know him for a long time. No, 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 different Christian. Oh. Different Christian from high school. Um, and we came up with the name, idea for a logo, all in that basement. And then I went home. I did some Googling. Did a lot of Googling. I bought a $100 kit on Amazon. Give me a little mixer, a mic, an editing software. But I didn't use it because I had audition through Hofstra. Um, got back to school and okay, now I got to create an RSS feed. How do I do that? Uh, and then a lot of Googling, I got a WordPress website. I used a service called Mediify, which I still use to get downloading and put it into the post, which made it go to the RSS feed. Don't know how it worked, but wrestling was the topic of choice because I watch wrestling. I've been watching wrestling, uh, since middle school and it just kind of fell on my lap. Let's do this podcast. You know, Christian lasted nine episodes. Um, I did a few on my own. I was this close to quitting and my friend Dave was just like, I'll do it with you. And then I did it with my friend Dave. He brought in Ricky. Uh, a few years later, we replaced Dave with Kay Murphy and then here we are. So I, I just love wrestling. I watch wrestling. It's the stupidest entertainment, but I love it. And then it's fun talking about it. Every Wednesday night, we are live uh, to YouTube, f Facebook, Twitch, and wherever else we can go. We're expanding. Um, but it's just fun. It's fun every Wednesday hopping on my chair and just getting on camera and just... I don't, Ricky writes an outline. I don't even look at it. I don't need to look at it. I can just get on and go. Because like I didn't write anything down for this podcast. I know you. Mm -hmm. Now, when Alan, like, I write a lot of things down because I don't know Alan or certain people. But I can just I can just go. It's just very easy. It's become second nature to me. But wrestling just, just fell in my lap as an opportunity. My brother and I loved wrestling when we were kids, and Ultimate Warrior was my favorite wrestler. <sighs> Rest Fun fact about chill. Rest in peace, Ultimate Warrior. But ladies and gentlemen, that'll wrap it up for another episode of the Talking with Tara Shook podcast. Jill, uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Look forward to coming back. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, please tell people where they can find you, trade talks, anything you want to plug. Floor is yours. You can find us on Twitter at Trey Talks. You can also find me at Jill Melandrino on Twitter. And of course, all of our content lives on YouTube under the NASDAQ channel. And we have all of our verticals there. You can find our content. 
And ladies and gentlemen, you know where to find all my shenanigans. But one more time for the people at home. My name is Will Tarashuk. That is T.S. and Thomas. A-R-A-S-H-U-K. This has been the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. Find all of our other podcasts on ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com or anywhere you find your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Amazon. We are everywhere. 25 plus platforms worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, our other show is, uh, our other segment of the show is the Unknown Unnamed Nonsense, where me and Christian and a guest, if you want, get on the podcast, have a giant list of random questions, no idea what's going to be asked, and we just riff, and we just go, and it's unknown, unnamed, complete and utter nonsense. If you want to be a guest on this podcast where we sit down one-on-one, or that podcast where we have a lot more fun, email me at will at APSpodcast.com, that's will at APSpodcast.com, and if I go, ooh, that's interesting. You'll be interviewed one way or the other. But until then, I'm Will Tarashuk. That's Joe Melandrino. We'll be back next time. But until then, y'all take care.